Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Dave Mendonca. Dave is a former national television sports reporter and a current YouTuber, podcaster, and writer who has interviewed artists including Beyonce, Jamie Foxx, and Anthony Daniels, better known as C-3PO from Star Wars. He's the author of four books, including 100 Things Raptors Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, and has written articles for ESPN.com, Entrepreneur.com, The Dallas Morning News, Costco Connection, and The Star Wars Insider. He also has a unique claim to fame as a member of the Marvel Cinematic Universe after he appeared on screen with Liv Tyler and Edward Norton in the 2008 film The Incredible Hulk. An interesting guy with what I expect will be some interesting stories. Welcome, Dave, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? (laughs) Andrew, what an incredibly thorough intro. Wow. Uh, yes, sir. I'm in Toronto. Actually, not Toronto. I'm in Newmarket. So just about, I'd say, what, 40 minutes north of Toronto. Um, born in Toronto. So there you go. I think it's appropriate I'm here then. Absolutely. And the, and the little tidbit for our regular listeners is this is subtitled York Region Legends, as I am based in Richmond Hill. Okay. And you join an illustrious past guest list, including Jim Lang, Elvis Stoiko, Alan Frew. So a lot of Newmarket talent here. Get out of here, Alan Frew, really? Absolutely. And, and my favorite Alan Frew story, since we're on it, is when he first opened, Glass Tiger opened for Boy George and Culture Club at Maple Leaf Gardens. As soon as they finished their opening set, Alan had to jump into his Honda Civic, race back to Newmarket Hospital, where he was emptying bedpans as an orderly on the overnight shift. Oh, Oh, man, that's pretty dramatic. Wow, okay. <laughs> and look oh, where he's man. gone now. He's done it all. Good for him. Let's jump right into it. You are what they call a multi-hyphenate creator as a YouTuber, hyphen podcaster, hyphen writer. What are you currently working on? Oh, yeah, man. You know what, Andrew? With me, there's always something going on. Uh, so right now, I have um, a YouTube channel called Ultimate Fun Jobs. It's a podcast as well. Man, Andrew, like I, I've had so many really cool jobs in my life. And I'm like, you know what? I experienced a lot of joy. How can I help others experience a similar joy? Because, man, there's so many people in this world that hate their gigs. So what if I put out content, you know, interview people who have fun jobs and that could provide tips and suggestions and all that sort of thing to help the next person up, you know, help them up the ladder kind of thing. So that's Ultimate Fun Jobs pretty much in a snap right there. And I also have another YouTube channel called uh, Marvelous Dads. I'm a massive Marvel Studios fan. So uh, basically, I, I do content like YouTube shorts, like quirky facts about uh, different Marvel Studios actors and actresses and stuff like that. And it's, it's doing well. It's, I just love creating stuff. Ever since I was at the SCORE television network, I always enjoyed being in front of the camera, a microphone, whatever, just creating things. And I'm so happy I get to extend that now. And it's fun, man. It's just a blast. Well, let's please go back and get the Dave Mendonca story. What is your background and how did you initially start your career at the SCORE Television Network? The SCORE. All right. I used to go to college with a a guy you might know, Sid Sixero. We both went to... Harvard College uh, radio program, and Sid, you know, even back then, he was a funny guy, uh, always a very unique kind of personality, and we both took radio, and after the radio course, 
It was interesting. You know, I, I, I did some overnights for like uh, Skywards traffic and all these different radio things. And Sid one day reached out to me saying, hey, Dave, listen, there's, there's an opportunity to audition as one of the voiceover guys at the Score TV network. I don't know if your listeners know this. Back in the late 90s, the Score Television Network, back then headlined sports, it was this 24-hour sports uh, TV network, right? And at that point in time, there was some, you know, on-camera programming, but there was also a lot of voiceover stuff. So I was, you know, asked to come in for an audition. And I, I, you know, I go in there. I felt totally out of place. I was like all like dressed up in like a uniform, not uniform, but like a suit and stuff. And this place was so dressed down. These are all guys in their like early 20s, a very young network, uh, might I say like frat house-like, but not like crazy frat house. But these are all guys that are so passionate about sports. And <laughs> I roll up in a freaking three-piece suit. It was just, it was just weird. Anyway, so I do the audition and I get word a few weeks later that I've been accepted as a voiceover guy. And being a sports nut, it was just insane being paid as like a 22-year-old to do sports or watch sports and all that sort of thing. It was nuts, Andrew. It was a crazy opportunity, you know, very few people get, especially in media where typically if you wanted to be on camera, you have to get out of Toronto. And I did it. I was fortunate to stay within the city and on a national level and I began to carve out my niche with my unique voice and sayings, all sorts of things. So that's how I started at The Score. Well, I definitely remember The Score from those days. It was definitely the place to get all your highlights. And the voiceovers were very unique. Each voiceover person gave it their own twist, as you know, with their own sayings. Now, The Score has been known as a breeding ground for lots of today's top talent. Besides Sid Sixero, who else did you work with at The Score that we would uh, know of today? Yeah. A bunch of guys. Jeez, man. Elliot Friedman, Frege. He's, I believe he's at CBC doing his thing. And even from there, I got the score. He was more of a, like, he was our main reporter guy. Like, he obviously was so, so bright and sharp and that sort of thing. He covered the Raptors. He was like a big basketball t- guy at that point in time in the score's history. Then he migrated to hockey and whatnot. So, Frege, I worked with um, some of your guests, previous guests, Simon Bennett's. He was a voiceover guy. Uh, James Sharman, he was a, a voiceover guy, on-air talent at the score as well. Uh, Cabby, if you remember Cabby on the street, that guy was funny. He would go on the intercom system and just make weird noises from time to time and just call out people in a funny way. He was always very gregarious. So I worked with him. Tim McAuliffe, solid guy, uh, Tim McAuliffe. He, he had some great voiceover work and on-camera work. At the scores, Greg Sansoni, another guy who I believe is the head of Sportsnet in some fashion. So quite a few. Uh, Adnan Verk, uh, he took off to the States and, and did his thing on ESPN, Baseball Network, a whole bunch of stuff. This is where we started, man. We were all 20-somethings just doing our thing, getting paid nothing, but loving every minute of it. You know, just the fact that we could all watch sports and talk about sports and and nobody rolled their eyes. We were all at the same level, just at the start of our careers. What an amazing experience. Well, it was an amazing experience, especially for so many people to come out of the score at that time. So here you are, Dave, 
In the 2000s, you're a voiceover guy and sports reporter at The Score, and you're covering the Raptors, the Blue Jays, the Maple Leafs. Uh, you kind of alluded to this, but this must have been like the dream job to cover all these Toronto sports teams. Well, yes. Specifically, when I would get, okay, the reporting gig, I, cause I used to be a field reporter as well part-time. So whenever I got the Saturday night Leaf game to cover and the Raptors early afternoon game in the same weekend, that was the most amazing thing for me. Uh, I'm not the biggest Leaf fan or Raptors, uh, sorry, biggest hockey fan, but when I had that combo, it was like sports heaven. And listen, I'll be very frank with you that I would never consider myself like a hardcore journalist. I was never a freak. Freak was like serious dude, all that sort of thing. I always came from it as a fan. So when I would go to the Leaf game and see the game from like the gondola or from like the press box, whatever, and then talk to the guys after, I would always be like, holy crap, man, I get, I get to do this. And then you have to do the turnaround the next day on Sunday and do the same thing for the Raptors. And the Raptors freaking seats were amazing back in the day. And for media, you were court level. You heard all the swearing. You smelled the sweat. You know, it, it, it was just such a phenomenal experience. So it was those double headers. It was the Leafs Raptors weekends that were the highlight for me as a reporter at the score. No doubt. Absolutely. That would have been a dream job. Now, of course, all dreams, unfortunately, sometimes come to an end. And when your dream job ended, I would like to know, if you don't mind sharing, when and why the time at the score came to an end. Yeah. So, yeah, not many people know this. Like in 2006, I had some health issues and it, it knocked me out for the year. And it was a really hard time. And, you know, the score was very patient with me and whatnot. And I finally uh, overcame that hurdle in 2007. But something changed, man. I just wasn't, I didn't have the same zest, the same passion. And I don't know what to tell you. Like, I just, they felt at the time that um, it just wasn't working. And that's where they, they said, thank you, but uh, it's time to move on to a different chapter. And it was bittersweet, but... You know what? It was the best thing, man, because ever since then, I've been doing so many different things. Experiences that I really doubt I would have had if I stayed at the score, if I was a lifer. I'm so grateful to the, to the score for that opportunity to go because if that didn't happen, I don't interview Beyonce. I'm not in a Marvel Studios movie. I don't write books. All these different opportunities were spawned after that door closed. So, man, listen, guys, like if, if you're let go from a job and, you know, in the moment you're shocked and you think the world's over, but it just opens the door to so many different things. If you see those opportunities, if you open yourself to those opportunities, that's exactly what happened with the score. No regrets. Uh, it was such a great eight-year run. It was stuff that I never thought I would ever do in my life. Like I was a sports fan, but I never thought I would be able to be on national TV at that level and do the things that I did there. So again, grateful for the score. Well, the word we all use today is pivot. And as you know, Dave, you had to open a new chapter. How'd you end up writing 100 things Raptors fans should know and do before they die? Yes. Okay. So let's. it's around 2014, the year 2014. I'm a Raptors fan, and I'm looking around at the bookstores. I'm like, there's no freaking books about the Raptors. And there's a gap here. 
So I started researching, you know, different publishers in the States and also Canada to see who would be open to this idea of doing a Raptors book. And in 2014, this was before the Raptors hosted their all-star game, right? This was before they they started to really make their run. So I, I, I knew the all-star game was coming, so I knew that was good timing. Then reaching success, like it was just at the start. I'm like, okay, you know what? This is a wave. We've got to catch. So I found this one publisher in Chicago, and they're called uh, Triumph Sports, Triumph Books. And I sent a pitch to their editorial director, and I leveraged my experience as a score TV reporter covering the Raptors. I said, yeah, I've done this. I've been a podcaster. Here's the gap. Let's do a, a book about the Raps. I got, it was a franchise they already had pre-existing, like the 100 things you know Blue Jays fans want to do before they die, that kind of thing. Anyway, I pitched the Raptors version. And they saw my pitch, and they're like, yo, let's go with this. And Andrew, I'll never forget. I was at work. I was looking at my email, and the director sends me the email. All it says is, let's go with this. And I freaked out. I was like, oh my God, I freaking got a book deal, a US American book deal. And Andrew, I had no audience. Like nowadays, if you want to get a book, you have to have a platform of like 100,000 viewers, uh, you know, whatever, followers, whatever. Back then, I had Zippo. I was freaking out. It's like winning the lottery. Like getting a traditional book deal is just so hard. And I was able to do it, man. And I was tasked with writing that book. I'm going to call it from like uh, December 2014, had to end, I had to hand it in by March 2015. So I had to pump out 100 chapters of this book within that time. And I had just got married uh, in October of 2014. So it was tough because, y- you know, you're balancing all these things and I had to get the book out. So it was a challenging time, but uh, I got it out and the book gets out there. And man, it, it was a success, like Amazon bestseller. I'm like, holy crap, man. Like, Andrew, I never thought I would be an author ever in my lifetime. And seeing on Amazon, number one, number one, I'm be- beating out like Jalen Rose's book. And like, who else? Uh, the writers for the Raptors, uh, they're head writers, uh, the guys from different publications. They're not on my mind right now. But I was beating like guys who cover the team. I was beating out their books unbelievable like that that's how it happened it was such a ride you know going to the bookstore you see your creation you poured your heart and soul in and it's it's there it's a phenomenal experience i actually recorded it it's, it's on youtube somewhere out there but it's just such a, a phenomenal thing that happened and we we did another book uh the raptors updated version that released march 2020 i don't know if you were you know what happened in march 2020 oh yeah so yeah, so unfortunately, the updated version tanked. It got obliterated because of what happened. But what a ride, man. Like, If you're a Raptors fan and you want to know the history of the Raptors, definitely uh, the book is It's a good trip down memory lane. Man. And it was, it was done with love because I am a Raptors fan since day one. And yeah, so that's how it all happened, man. I never thought it would ever happen, but it did. Well, what a gratifying experience. Now, Matt Devlin and Jerome, the junkyard dog Williams, wrote the forwards to your book. Now, they are huge names in the Raptors universe. How'd you get them involved? Well, like uh, like you told me like off air uh, how you got guests for your show. I just asked, right? So 
with uh, JYD, uh, I had interviewed him for a previous basketball podcast I co-hosted. So I decided to reach out to him and say, hey, you know, let's, would you like to do a forward for this book? And he's like, yeah. And he did a phenomenal job. Like he was very poetic with it. I don't know if you got a ghostwriter, but I'm just going to assume JYD, you did it. And well done. As for Matt Devlin, I'll be honest. I, I did reach out to Jack Armstrong first on LinkedIn. <laughs> I said, hey, Jack, man, would you mind, uh, you know, be doing a forward? Jack's, you know, Jack's great. You, you, you've probably been around Jack. He's just such a, a cool guy, nice guy. He's like, uh, Dave, man, sorry, I can't do it. But how about, you know, Maddie D, you know, like get, get it over to Matt Devlin. And, and Matt, Matt was very gracious with his time. And, you know, he's a busy guy and he did a great job as well. So that, that was the origin story for how JYD and Devlin were part of the book. Excellent. That's great. Yeah. Now, Dave, you're also, as you mentioned, an entertainment slash celebrity interviewer. I would like to hear any good stories you have from your interactions with Beyonce, Jamie Foxx, or Mr. C-3PO Anthony Daniels. Oh my God. Here we go, Andrew. Okay, here we go. Beyonce. So it's 2008. Earlier in that year, early on, like I don't know if it was February or springtime, I had interviewed Beyonce's sister, Solange. And this was for an online magazine, get ready for it, called The Tub. The Tub magazine, based in California, it was like a music entertainment online magazine. So when I was getting Solange on board, like she she was releasing a CD early that year. I like I reached out to the dad, Matthew Knowles, who was their manager at the time, and I presented, you know, like, okay, the Tub magazine gets Solange some, you know, some press and that sort of thing. And Matthew said, Let's go. Let's do it. In my mind, I'm like, the bigger fish is Beyonce. So in my mind, I'm like, you know what? Let's get Solange, do a bang-up job, that kind of thing, then circle back six months, go after the big fish. That's exactly what I did. I reached out to Matthew Knowles, and he's like, yeah, here's uh, Beyonce's you know PR person. Reached out to the PR person, and I, you know, I, I pitched that. I could get Beyonce in the Houston Press and all these different like Texas-oriented magazines because she's from, I believe, Texas or so. Anyway, so that's how it happened. And then the story, the interesting story is the day of the interview. So I'm in my apartment. I'm just sitting down on the carpet of the bedroom. I have one of those old like recording devices that tap your phone to record. It's like this white little a cable with like a square box that's that's plugged into my my house phone, right? Not a cell phone. This is 2008. So I am recording the call. And I don't know if it was legal, Andrew, that I'm recording the call. But she had to have known I was recording the call. And before I get on the line, I'm like, you know what? Hey, Dave, this is Beyonce. She's just a girl. She's just a regular person. Let's have some fun. You know, just go get it, right? So we get on the line. And I'm talking to the PR person, and then PR person introduces Beyonce, and then Beyonce comes on. I'm like, hey, is that the one and only Beyonce? And then she started laughing and chuckling right away. I broke the ice. We had like an like a eight to ten minute chat about her career and that sort of thing. And I was doing all of this sitting down on the bedroom, like in my bedroom uh, carpeted floor in my apartment. Some Joe Schmo, like Andrew, like I am a Joe Schmo, man. And I was interviewing Beyonce. How the heck 
was I doing this? Again, this is a story of my career. I, I, it's crazy. Very, very surreal. And of course, a next level surreal would be uh, Jamie Foxx. All right. So Jamie Foxx, that was another cool story. Basically, I had put my, uh, I guess I wrote up a profile on a journalism website, I think jeffgollin.com, and saying that I was an entertainment writer, that kind of thing. And out of the blue, I think it was, was it movie.com? Like this is 2000, it was also 2008. And this website called movie.com, I think they reached out to me. They, they saw the profile on the journalism website. They said that their Toronto guy who usually covers Toronto events because Jamie Foxx was in town promoting, I don't know if it was a movie or a musical event that actually Drake would be a part of because he was like a, a rookie back then in the music scene. They called me, reached out to me. Yeah. Can you interview Jamie Foxx? And I'm like, heck yeah, sure. So uh, we go over to like a hotel. I forget which hotel Jamie was at. Uh, it was a press junket. Each one of us had time with Jamie and I roll in there and just talking with Jamie Foxx. I'm like, wow, this guy's really down to earth. Really cool. We, we talked about his Christmas album that was coming up, his movies, that sort of thing. Now, Andrew, I did something really bad that you shouldn't do during interviews, right? So at the time, I was co-hosting a basketball podcast. And I'm like, you know what? Jamie likes basketball. So what I did was I, I whip out the card, Andrew, the the card with my podcast on it. I said, hey, Jamie, you know, we, we do a podcast and that sort of thing. If you ever want to be a guest. Afterwards, when you think about it, I'm like, dude, man, why did you do that? You just shot your credibility, that kind of thing. But Jamie was totally cool, a total professional, all that sort of thing. Like, it was great chatting with him. And I really do hope he's doing well these days. So all the best, Jamie. Wayne Gretzky said it best. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So take, hey, I'm with you. Always better to take the shot. Now, 1977, like you, I was in the theater enjoying Star Wars. And subsequently, you did interview Anthony Daniels, C-3PO. Anthony Daniels, yeah. So that guy, like, I was looking for different interview subjects for my writing. So I was building my portfolio, and obviously a fan of Star Wars. And I reached out on his website saying, "Hey, uh, can I interview you? You know, to to get you in some publications." And like publications, like there was um, an Australian publication called Film Inc. that I was looking at, and Star Wars Insider, right? So he comes back at me. So this is before, this was like, this was like 2009. So I reach out to them, him. He wants to do the interview. I get on the phone with him and I'm like, hey, Anthony, do you want to do this interview as C-3PO? Like in his voice. And he was like, let's do it. So I asked him like a series of questions about C-3PO. Like did he, did he ever think about maybe going on a date with this piggy? All these weird things that he was game. And he it was just so surreal being a fan of Star Wars, hearing C-3PO talk to you from the other line. And I, I kept that Q&A. It was for the filming, like Australian magazine. And he was just such a good sport. And I, again, there's another one of those moments where I'm like, I'm a Joe Schmo. How am I interviewing this guy? How did this happen? And it did. And that interview actually was the cover story for star wars insider magazine so that was a trip andrew because i went to the bookstore and i saw my magazine the cover i couldn't believe it i had made a cover of a magazine and that was a global magazine 
This is the guy, Andrew, referring to myself, that I was let go in 2007. And all these crazy things started to happen. Like I was interviewing Beyonce, Jamie Foxx, you know, freaking Anthony Daniels. This was crazy. Like I should have, I should have sulked. I should have, like after I got let go, I should have been crying and just gave up, but I didn't. If you're enjoying this Toronto Legends interview, please check out the more than 175 additional episodes available anytime. We got TVO's Steve Pakin, our Canadian ambassador to the United Nations, Bob Ray, Olympic gold medalist Donovan Bailey, Mark McCoy and Bruni Surin, the king of Bay Street, Wes Hall, and Glass Tigers, Alan Frew. How they did it directly from the Toronto Legends themselves. All episodes available 24-7, 365, wherever you get your podcasts. Well, not only did you not give up, but there's another interesting aspect to your career. Let's talk about your big screen movie career. The Incredible Hulk movie was shot in Toronto. How did you get involved as an extra? And then how did you very creatively manage to actually get yourself into a scene with Liv Tyler and Ed Norton? Obviously, this is the highlight of my acting career. <laughs> I, okay, so basically... I was just let go of the score the same month when I was let go of the score in September 2007. And I was like, okay, let's look for something cool to do. And I went on Craigslist and I noticed that on Craigslist, there was like a talent section. I was looking for stuff. And there was this ad for a businessman extra for an upcoming film called The Incredible Hulk. And I'm like, you know what? Let's do it, man. Let's rock and roll. Let's go for it. So I submitted some headshots sent an email describing who I was and my background and that sort of thing. Then before I know it, I get notified. I'm like, yeah. yeah. They're like, yeah, you're in. Let's do this. So the the main scene that we shot, this was at, uh, so around Young and King, just south of King, there is like a cul-de-sac, a business cul-de-sac on the right-hand side, like tall buildings and that sort of thing. So we're filming a scene. It was like a street scene. Originally, I was the extra, one of the extras, about 200 feet back, like at the back end of the cul-de-sac. The front facing of the cul-de-sac was uh, facing Young Street. All right. You know, Andrew, there's moments in your life where there's an opportunity to seize something that, you know, may never happen again, that you got to do it. So at this moment in time, I'm like, you know what, man? This is it. Okay, if I ever want to be on camera in a movie, if I ever want to get it done, this is the moment. I don't know about if, if I'll ever be back here. And so with each take, I inch closer to the main cameras. The main cameras are the ones that are facing Young Street, Liv Tyler, Ed Norton. They're over there. That's where all the action's happening. Whereas I'm in the background. I'm a background actor 200 feet away with every take. I start walking closer and closer. There are quite a few people in the scene, so nobody was paying attention to me. So before I knew it, after being 200 feet away these guys, away from these guys, all of a sudden I'm like a foot behind. Ed Norton, Liv Tyler, the cameras, the spotlights, all that sort of stuff. I am there. So the scene is Liv Tyler, Ed Norton. They pop out of a, a taxi after Liv Tyler... Uh, starts uh, or Liv Tyler and Ed Norton have some issues with his cab driver because he's driving really quickly. Liv Tyler bursts out and she starts yelling at the cabbie. Right when she's done, there's a bunch of people walking behind them up close. I'm one of them, holding the briefcase, 
dressed as a business guy, glasses on, looking like Clark Kent. If you saw, if you when you look at that scene, it's like I'm pounding out my chest trying to get as much exposure as possible. I look like kind of like Clark Kent. So that happens. I don't think anything of it. I gave him a shot. You know, hope for the best. Fast forward, June 2008. I have a cousin in Cardiff, Wales. He messages me on, on Twitter and he says, hey, Dave, man, you're in the Incredible Hulk. And I'm like, there's no way. There's no way. So what I do, Andrew, is I go to my uh, then girlfriend, now wife. And I'm like, we got to see this movie. We have to go. I've been tipped off that I might be in this movie. So I, I take my then girlfriend and her best friend at the time. We all go to the theater, right? So we're watching the movie. It's just, you know, clicking along, clicking along. And all of a sudden, Liv Tyler bursts out of the cab, yelling at the cabbie. She's done. Then all of a sudden, I see me walking. That moment happens. I take it in for a half a second. I stand up in a packed theater and I say, holy S, that's me. Andrew, man, my girlfriend, now wife, was so horrified. And her best friend, they were like, what the heck is happening right now? I couldn't help it, man. I, I'm a big movie buff, too. And I, I never thought I'd be in front of a camera, like, uh, like in a movie, ever, ever, let alone a $100 million superhero movie. So that happened, and I couldn't believe it. And I've been walking on cloud nine ever since. I've been a Marvel Studios fan ever since. And do you still get the residual checks? Okay, this is garbage. Okay, so this is... No, the answer is no. Because he signed that away, right? So, like, I got paid probably 120 bucks for 12 hours of work that day. So, no residuals, that kind of thing. But a great story, great memories. And although that may have been the pinnacle of your career, I got one more career stop I want to ask you about. Sure. Did you or did you not work on a chicken farm? Chicken factory. Chicken factory. <laughs> <laughs> not a chicken farm not a that would have been interesting no uh, back when i was 19 uh so my my parents they worked at uh, a chicken factory in, in norville ontario called maple lodge farms and you know they hard-working people and if it wasn't for that factory you know i wouldn't be here they supported us that sort of thing so one summer my dad's like you know what come with me come with me and work at the chicken factory so i'm like Sure. At the same time, I was also volunteering like on air stuff, TV, uh, you know, uh, hosting and that sort of thing at Rogers Cable, the local Rogers TV channel and stuff like that. So <laughs> so during the day that summer, I was like hanging dead chickens on assembly line hooks, blood splattering, chicken blood splattering all over my uniform. But then by night, I was hosting freaking talk shows on Rogers TV. It was the total opposite of each other, but that was me paying my dues. Well, if there's something that will make you run, not walk, back to school and back to whatever you're working on, it would be your time at a chicken factory. So it's good. As you say, it's good to have all these different experiences. Now, Dave, as we wrap up, this is your time to tell everyone what you're working on now and what you're working on in the future. All right. So, Andrew, thank you for the opportunity for this interview. It's been fun. And in regards to what I'm working on, basically, it's my YouTube channels and my podcast. So, one YouTube channel is Ultimate Fun Jobs. 
I'll just, you know, type into YouTube, Ultimate Fun Jobs. You'll see the channel. It's some great content. It has my podcast on there. It has uh, shorts. It has some stories from my career. And there's like interviews on there. Basically, it's to help people who hate their jobs, want a career change, get some inspiration, get some information, entertaining information from people who have fun gigs so that they can get those fun gigs as well. So that's Ultimate Fun Jobs. And the podcast, obviously, is wherever you can listen to podcasts. That's where the show is, Spotify, Apple, all that sort of thing. And the other YouTube channel is Marvelous Dads. Again, big Marvel guy. It's got uh, some voiceover work. Like I haven't abandoned the voiceover work. I got some YouTube shorts that are quirky facts about Marvel actors. And surprisingly, like these shorts are getting like per short over a thousand you know, views and stuff like that. So it's cool. I'm very blessed, very honored that that YouTube's around, that I still get to create. It's such an amazing time in this world, Andrew. As you know, you're a creator with the podcast. Just having these things available to you and the distribution, like YouTube is global. So it's crazy, man. So those are the things I'm working on. So if you could check out the YouTube channels and the podcast, many thanks. Excellent. And it is a great time to be a creator. And Dave, where can we best follow you? Are you a Twitter guy or where can people keep track of what you're up to? Yeah, uh, LinkedIn is great. Twitter is great. I would say those two. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you for your time. It was nice to meet you. And I want to wish you best of luck going forward. Thank you, sir. And you too, man. Thanks again. It's been my pleasure to have you. And to the listeners, on behalf of Dave Mendonca, I am Andrew Applebaum saying thanks for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends Podcast. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.